When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. This is a podcast about Scottish football without the Scottish football. So instead, we're going to be looking at some of the things that have bewitched and enriched us during the lockdown. My name is Craig Telford and I am joined by the beast from the east, Tony Anderson. Hello, Craig. How are you? The pest from the west, Craig Anderson. Hello. And the blorth from the north, Craig Cairns. Hello. You were unlucky, Craig. I can't think of anything that rhymes with north, so I just made up a word. Not from the north either. No, you're not. Uh, you could be in the mouth of the south, but you're, you're you're not from the south either. Glad to be a beast at all times, so here we go. Yeah, I, when I thought I was putting that together, I thought there was only one person that can be the beast from the east. And that <laughs> Listen, Tony, this will be the first time you and I have appeared in a podcast together, and it must be about at least five years, yes, maybe longer. Long time, yeah. I was the same. I was saying that I was doing a classic game with Craig Cairns uh, last night, and I was saying the same to him. It's been a, the one beauty of this whole scenario is uh, we get to do podcasting with everyone. Uh, I done my first one with Graham Thwillis the other week, um, so and this will be the first time I think since Melbourne Craig Anderson that we've done one together. Yeah, um, this one sitting in our bedrooms now, yeah, but that was not, not on the beach. <laughs> on the beach, yeah, yeah that was. Outstanding, but yeah, it's lovely to see you all. Thanks for having me. Of course, yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure you and I were going to be doing one. It would have been just as the the lockdown. We were supposed to do it t- together. Uh, it had been on the Thursday, and then lockdown was announced on the Monday. So that was Kai Boss. So at least if can, if we can't do it in the same room together, at least we can do it remotely. Now, before we begin, last week I spoke very briefly about the Final Fantasy VII remake, and when I talked about it, I was met with complete indifference because I was on a podcast with a bunch of VLs who have never picked up a joypad in their lives. That's not the case this time, because of course I am with Craig Cairns and Tony Anderson, who have both made a significant dent in uh, Squaresoft Enix's remake of the 1998... 1998? 1997? Yeah. The late 90s JRPG classic. I just want to know for you guys, what have you made of the Final Fantasy VII remake so far? Are you both enjoying it? Yeah, well, um, I said for, for lockdown, it was the first time I, I made the excuse to go and get a, play, a PlayStation or a, a games console for the first time. 
in around five, six years. I had the last one I had was a PS3 a long time ago. So I took the excuse to to go out there right before all the shops shut and get one in, which was a very exciting moment in my life, uh, if I'm being honest. And uh, the reason I chose the PlayStation over the Xbox, despite a lot of my friends having the Xbox, was simply because of Final Fantasy. It was a <clears throat> number seven was a, a quite a, 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 sort of like a really important game for my childhood, if I'm being brutally honest. I, I, I went at it for a long time and I really enjoyed going back to it in this because I think I've got a better understanding of the game. It is quite yeah. a... The storyline is, is relatively complex, especially for a... Maybe, well, at the time, maybe a, a 12, 13-year-old boy who went and played it. So I've, I've grown a much bigger appreciation playing this. And the design of the game this time is you're only in the sort of cyberpunk city of... Midgar, so they've not actually done the full game, which I know was met with a, an outcry of fear, maybe an anger by a lot of people. But after playing through the game, I think they've done a great job. You would never know. There's not been a lot of things added for, for adding sake. Uh, maybe a couple of bits that drag on, but on the whole, it's really enriched the story uh, and sort of enriched some of the characters that you didn't know as well before. Uh, and it was just I thought it was absolutely outstanding I was I was enjoying myself thoroughly when I was playing it What about yourself Craig Cairns? Um, I, I don't necessarily disagree with anything Tony said there I'm, I'm just a bit more lukewarm on it I think um, it's not a genre of games that I've really been a big fan of even around the time where the original came out I, I hadn't really played many RPGs in my time but this was the kind of game that it's just like um, you get this with some albums as well like regardless of the genre you've just got to check it out because it's just so like critically acclaimed and it was one of those games that regardless of uh, what your what, what kind of games you played you, you would pick this up because of the hype around it and it, it deserved it but like I said it just wasn't it just it's just not the kind of game that I, I usually go for so um, this for this remake specifically it, it looks great um, I, I think I quite like the combat system I don't mind that um but it's the bits in between that I, I find kind of drag a bit. I, I, I find it's it's nice to look at, but there's not really much going on. But I think the I think the original was 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 kind of like that as well, wasn't it? I, oh, it's interesting. I I I, I should fall, fall between both stills from from what you you and Tony are saying. I think that the the game looks incredible. I think when you you first open it up and you've got the the recreation of the opening scene in in Midgar you really get a sense of scale of the city and it looks incredible. That scene where the train with cloud on the top of it is pulling into the station when you're doing the assault on the first macro reactor, that is, I don't, don't use the term lightly, I think it's breathtaking. It, it, like I say, it looks incredible. The, the, the voice acting, there's a, there's a lot more depth to the characters, a lot more depth to the story. I like the idea of there's sort of been like this avalanche, this eco-terrorist uh, group and there's like a... a, a a subsect of, of, of Avalanche as well who are, who are a bit more militant I, I find that interesting I find the the, the motivations of the bad guys I, I think that that's more fleshed out uh, the, there are parts of it I I, I find tricky and most of it, it, it comes down to the, the, the sort of the combat system where I'm, I played Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9 and 10 and the, the turn-based battle system where you effectively you wait for your turn before you cast a spell you you attack you use an item and I, I find that quite quite tricky to, to, to get my head around um, uh, maybe it's because I'm not very good at it maybe it's because my, my timing's off but the, the, there's I, I just prefer that it was a bit more methodical and I just feel a lot of the time I'm just 
going out there and, and hacking away at enemies rather than doing anything with, with any discernible skill. But I, for what I've played so far, I think I put about four or five hours into. I think it's enjoyable. Enjoyable. It's not it's certainly not the best thing I've ever played, but I, I have enjoyed it. The yes. game, the game in, in, um, improved dramatically. Uh, as you go on uh, I managed to finish it I totally dedicated my sort of lockdown oh you completed it then yeah yeah like right through and there is a big change in pace um, as you move through the game if it's not right I don't want to give away any spoilers but um, once you get to a period of the game where you go to this I've forgotten the name of it the casino place really outside yeah, um, that the, the game really sort of kicks in as well. Then there's also the period which is the same as in the original, where you uh, where they're sort of like they try and make it look like you're doing a terrorist attack on the plate um, to to bomb the city, um, and that bit is absolutely it's so dramatic and so well done uh, as you're playing it. And from there, it really speeds up. There's a lot less sort of side missions, which the side missions are pretty good. In some of the periods, but some of them are awful. I mean, I mean, it's hard to get excited about going to find some child's cats in yeah. a slum. Yeah, or go get and four kids and tell them to go back to school. Yeah, like like so, like some of that is uh, a bit off. But as you were saying, Craig, the bad guys sort of. Uh, reasons for doing what they're doing and the way that they, as you move on, they they're using the media against you. Yeah, it's quite pressing and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just it, like with that 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 totally reeled me in, uh, and I, and it, and it made me so excited. And this game compared to original, they do while you the the game is still clearly on the side of the eco terrorists of Avalanche. There's a lot more grey areas in this game yes. where you do question whether you're doing the whether what you are doing is actually the right no, thing. That, that's that's and, a good point, Tony. That, that's something I noticed at the after after you've done the first mission and you go back into the, the sector seven slums. It feels as like there's, there's real consequences to, to to your actions. I don't necessarily think that you got that back in 1997. Whereas this time around, it's you have you have blown up uh, part of the city, and it's, there's people on their knees, people crying, people with their children, uh, and you didn't really get that uh, first time around. So yeah, that's that, that's good. I, I, you know, I don't want to spend the, the entire podcast talking about Final Fantasy VII, but it was good to to finally be able to have a, a grown up mature discussion with, uh, with with like-minded people rather than just fruitlessly <laughs> throwing things into a group chat to be met with cold indifference so I'm glad we've been able to do that my only, my only insight on it is uh, I played it with my pal he had it when it was on the PS1 or whatever it was back in the day and I was surprised last week when I was listening to your podcast that there actually were six games before it because I yeah. assumed it was like a Star Wars job. I thought they'd just kind of called it Final Fantasy VII to just save themselves. But in the backstory, that was my impression. So that was my amazing piece of insight because I've never played it since. But the, 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 those games had been on the, I think I said at that time, on the, the Nintendo and various other sort of like a, a 16-bit systems. But Final Fantasy VII, that was the first one that uh, was on a 32-bit system on the, the, the PlayStation and trailed extensively big cinematics and it really opened up JRPGs to, to a Western audience but listen we, we, we don't want to spend the entire time here talking about my childhood locked away uh, trying to beat Ruby Weapon uh, there's no point there's no point in going on about that we're going to talk about things that we have enjoyed during lockdown you know sort of the, the various media we've consumed the movies the box sets the music 
And I'm going to go to you, Craig Anderson, first. You sat there patiently. What have you been enjoying during lockdown? A lot of things, but I, I would have mentioned talked about racing across the world because I thought that's probably the best thing I've watched in the period. But I know we talked about that extensively last week, so I am going to take a completely different. There's two types of TV programs I basically ever watch, which is uh, travel programs and food programs. And so I'm going to talk about MasterChef Australia. Um, MasterChef Australia is the best, by by far, the best cooking show on TV. My fiance is celebrating in the corner here because she can overhear you saying yeah, that. It's, it's, um, <laughs> I, I've watched it since the first series came on in the UK. It's on like it's a channel called Watch or something like that in the UK. And it's been on, to, I think they're 11 years down the line on it now. Um, and so for the first six years, I used to watch it. Even with, my mum and dad found it when I still live with them. That was like the family would gather around and watch it. And it's just more, they get the right balance because it's, it's more like you, f- you get more of a feeling for the, char- the characters, the um, contestants than in the UK version. Like, because you see a lot more of them, it's a lot more extensive, it's a lot more in-depth. You know, they live together in a house. You, they, don't, they don't do it like Big Brother, but you get like a little bit where you see them, you know, chatting after they've done it. But it's also not done as some sort of crap reality. It's like it's still about the cooking, about the food, which I like watching. So I've, I've loved it for a long time. And then when I moved there, it was kind of one of the first things, you know, actually being able to watch it live because it's only like a six-month delay here because it, it's on in March there, but we don't get it till September. So I remember that being exciting, going to some of the restaurants and all that. Mm-hmm. And then now it's on Amazon Prime, all of the first 10 series. So I'm basically watching it back through now. Um, now that sounds incredibly sad because it is, but it's just it's really <laughs> nice to have one in the background. Nice food to look at. Um, and yeah, just it, it's brings back a lot of nostalgia I guess as well so the first uh, the first three seasons I think were um, were in Sydney and then they moved to Melbourne so now obviously in hindsight watching it back having lived there for a while I can see like oh I've been to that restaurant or I've you know seen that person which is quite quite nice as well so it's better than UK version then yeah, I really like the UK version. I, I do, I do watch it as well. Um, the the UK celebrity version is very good, unlike a lot of celebrity programs, because they actually they're generally actually people you've heard of. I mean, maybe there's the old maids in Chelsea or Essex person. I don't watch those, so I, I don't know them. But mainly, you do get people um, that you know who they are, and they actually kind of take the piss out of themselves and take the piss out of them through the program a bit. There's a in the UK celebrity one. There's like a, a challenge where they're both on the opposite. They're both asked to cook the same dish but they're on the opposite side of a wall so they can't see what each other's doing and they have to try and make them identical and it's amazing, it's so good um, especially if you get someone who's a bit thick and the other person's trying to give them the instructions so I, I just <laughs> like these programmes in general but no, the Australian one is substantially better than the, the British one well, Certainly that's food for thought there, Craig Anderson Craig, <laughs> what about you, what have you been watching during the lockdown? I've been I've been listening to a lot of uh, Run the Jewels during the lockdown. Um, Run the Jewels is is a rap duo that's kind of been on my radar ever since they dropped their first album. Yeah, Craig was just doing the the symbol there for everyone. Uh, no, the fist. The other the other hands are fists. That's that's like something something like that. Yeah, um, which which I definitely do. I will do when I go to one of their gigs. I'll stand in the crowd like, with, with, with a gun in the fist. Definitely. Um, so, like I said, the rap duo started around the time 2013, 14, something like that. Uh, LP and Killer Mike, they worked together on Killer Mike's album in 2013, and then this project kind of spawned out of that. Um, I had seen that their albums had been critically acclaimed, uh, the, the three that had come out 
uh, in that time. And I don't know, there's just so much music out there, I just never get round to, to listen to it. And then about a few months ago, um, I came across their Tiny Desk concert and I was just blown away and I've just been hooked since really. Um, that was from their third album, I listened to that and then I went back and listened to the the, the, the two before that. And uh, LP does the does the beats, it's like this crisp, booming production, it's so catchy, it's so really, really good. Um like what one of the best one of the best in the game I would say at uh, crafting beats, uh, certainly that I've heard, uh, and and they both they both got uh, excellent flows. The one criticism I do have is um, the, the three initial songs I first heard, um, they had like these they were kind of really interesting song subjects, and then if you go back, those are from the third album, and then if you go back and listen to the 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 two albums before that. They, they sound equally as good. They, they sound better, actually. Probably uh, the beats are probably better on the first two albums, but it's just them rapping about how fucking great they are and how they're going to kill everybody else in the opposition, and it just gets a bit tedious. I mean, there's a, there's a few there's a few exceptions. There's a few songs uh, uh, that are exceptions to that on the first two albums, but it's mostly yeah, just I say them going on about how fucking good they are and that kind of thing, and that that, that gets a bit boring for me after a while. But um, still, really worth checking out. Yeah, I, I, I did that. I listened to all of Jay-Z's albums back-to-back back from uh, Reasonable Doubt all the way up to 444. And whilst the, the, I, I, you don't want to, to, to generalise, but the subject matter did become particularly sort of like the albums between Reasonable Doubt and The Blueprint mm-hmm. became quite tedious. A lot of the stuff he was he, he was rapping about, it's all that sort of, uh, I think it's mafia rap, is that the sort of the, the, the term for it, where you just basically talk about it's like wealth and accumulation and stuff Aye. like that. Uh, these, these guys, a- these guys, it's less wealth. It's just more about being better rappers, and it's like, um, it's like, it's like rap battle lyrics, like that kind of thing. I do get the criticism of that, and it can be really frustrating when you listen to hip hop music. But uh, a lot of the time, as you're saying, the rap battle style—that's how a, a lot learn, how they, like hone their craft and and do it. So I think sometimes that's the comfort blanket, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're getting it when when you're doing these albums. So they'll do subject matters that might mean a lot to them in certain people Then when you've got your filler for albums, then um, it's obviously a difficult thing to do. You are going to heart back to your comfort blanket of sort of being the best the best in the hood or whatever like that because that's what you've what how you were brought up and how you learned how to sort of do to 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 rap basically it's because if you look on the flip side if you look at sort of like rock and roll music and stuff um like people sing about nothing uh you'll get the time where it's just people literally the lyrics mean absolutely zilch and i suppose that's sort of like a a similar thing is it becomes very difficult I mean, people can do it, but it becomes very difficult to always sing or rap about things that are are, are meaningful suppose, at all times. But, but then, I suppose uh, one of my not one of my all time favorite albums is uh, "To Pimp a Butterfly" by Kendrick Lamar, and I think I, I like that album so much. I mean, it's dense. There's there's, there's so much going on there. It's an album that you could listen to a hundred times, and you pick up a hundred different things listening to it. But every single song, there's. I mean, going genius, for instance, you know, the, the website that, that lyrics with the, they're, they're yeah. all annotated. You go in genius and every single line there is rich in, in symbolism and metaphor and simile. And he's just a, a brilliant lyricist and it's not necessarily just all about, it's about boasting, you know, it's all, as a, he's got his finger on the, the, the social pulse and it really, I think that, that album's a, a real cut, cut through the middle of it and it's yeah. real 2015 
album. Um, but no, I've got, it just turns out, I was looking through my iTunes when you were talking, I've got Run Jewels too, the, the red uh, the red front cover. I've actually paid for it from iTunes. I haven't listened to it. <laughs> that says more about me though and my uh, my, my wastefulness uh, and my, my thriftiness. But nevertheless, always good to uh, know when Anthony Fantano, Internet's busiest music nerds, joins the podcast. Tony, what about you? What have you been enjoying? Well, I... Um through a recommendation from friends I have delved in to Save the Last Dance on Netflix which is the documentary about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan in the sort of it's mainly about the 96-97 season but the the sort of documentary delves into everything about his career and obviously Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen are sort of the other characters within that and I have enjoyed immensely I'm not someone who normally watches sports documentaries they're normally because I'm aware that they're going to be pretty watered down but this uh, as someone who's never watched basketball I really feel that this has uh, enriched my life <laughs> watching it it's been uh, so 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 exciting to see it they've got such um, they, they allowed the cameras in they've got like unfiltered access during that season and even though they do like most documentaries they have the talking heads but all the talking heads in it have have a part to play they're not just like sort of like random writers if it's a writer it's a journalist from that exact period talking about who was involved who spoke to them at that time uh, you've got they, they take it from the angle of the the general manager the owner um, you see it from the players point of view you see it from the opposition's point of view uh, and it's great you see the cultural impact of NBA during a period that goes into when the Olympics and they had the dream team uh, where sort of that was when NBA becomes sort of the biggest thing worldwide um, in terms of basketball there was a period where like sort of like other European leagues and stuff were watched just as much as um, sort of the, the, the American counterparts and, uh, and it even goes it has an episode about and Michael Jordan getting um, going into Nike and be- getting the Air Jordans and the cultural impact of that around the world. Um, so I, I was so really enjoying it. And then you see the more negative side um, they, they look into sort of when Jordan, who was sort of very clean cut, his image uh, around the time where it goes into where maybe people are questioning whether he had a gambling issue, um, if he was going out too much before games, all that type of thing. And you really feel like as you're watching it you're really getting to know Michael Jordan he's he's very candid everyone on it who's talking is great and then on top of everything else you get sort of Dennis Rodman and stories about Dennis Rodman's sort of behaviour and his past uh, being a young man coming from the Detroit Pistons going to play for the Chicago Bulls uh, and his style there's like anecdotes about him begging for a holiday and just nipping off for 40 hours with Carmen Electra to go to Las Vegas but he just doesn't come back for about a week um, stuff like that so I, I would highly recommend it uh, because as I say it touches uh, on all aspects of, of the time the clothes that everyone's wearing the suits oh my they're so uh, it's just it's absolutely great for nostalgia and as I said for learning I never realised basketball was such a physical game I know it's meant to be a non-contact sport, but when you're watching up close and they're talking about it, people getting dunked on, these guys are absolutely huge running about. Yeah, I, I was growing an appreciation of it, and uh, I think after watching it, I'll definitely sort of maybe watch a bit more NBA going forward. Now, one experience. Probably a tear, tear coming down from his eyes. We've talked about food, rap, and basketball, <laughs> and he's not here 
to, to, to enjoy it with her. Sorry, Craig, you were going to say no, something. I was just saying my one experience of going to an NBA game when I was in Florida um, many years ago was there was like a wee guy who I think was the centre in the middle and I was like, he looks absolutely tiny. And then you looked him up in the programme and he was like six foot one. And it was like just everyone else dwarfs them, and you just realise how much um, how much of like a yeah a, a physical a, a big man sport it is. Yeah, absolutely. They were talking like you were hearing people wondering like hearing phrases like he was only six four uh, when they're talking about him at college, and they're wondering if that's if that's going to be enough. Um, so obviously it's it's a very specific sports, but um, but there's even like the battles, and there's a Croatian guy that comes in, and they all hate the general manager. At um, the Chicago Bulls, uh, and sort of like people get caught in the crossfires because the general manager rates a player from another club or another country. So they they essentially go out to do, sort of bully this guy when they play to sort of just to, to stick it up the general manager. They're all quite open talking about it. So I mean, I would really, really highly recommend watching it. Yeah, I've heard good reviews about it. That that sounds really good. And and even as someone who's not really into American things, you know, I prefer um, Iron Brew to Dr Pepper. I might give that a watch, Tony. Thank you. Uh, very quickly, um, I'm, the thing I've enjoyed most is a YouTube channel called Red Letter Media. It is by far and away my most favourite uh, YouTube channel. It's essentially it's a bunch of friends who review movies. They will review the latest cinematic releases. They will watch terrible movies. They will watch uh, terrible VHS tapes. Uh, and they've also done long-form reviews of the, the Star Wars prequels. And I've been watching this channel for a number of years I really can't recommend it highly enough. As well, you've been watching it for a long time. You actually feel as though you're, and this sounds so sad, you feel like you're quite friendly with the people involved. You know their various personalities. You know how they'll react to, to things. You know that we can we can wind each other up and stuff. And a lot of the the humour is is derived from that. So if you want to see a bunch of uh, American slobs sitting around talking about uh, movies called Shark Exorcist. Uh, then I would uh, I would I would highly recommend it. But we've spoken about things that, that we've enjoyed there. Now's a chance to get things off our chest. What's uh, what's been grinding your gears? What's been pressing your buttons, Craig Cairns? What's been yanking your tip? Now, even though I've slept with uh, hundreds of women, I still like to play computer games, guys. And what's been grinding my gears about computer <laughs> games recently has been the Resident Evil Three remake now it's not really because it's a bad game as such it's um it's just more what could have been um it's a very short game for a start which isn't do you think do you think uh, craig i mean i've i've not played it but i have watched somebody do a walkthrough on youtube so i know exactly what happens in it um, <laughs> that's that's really sad that, that is really sad the lockdown's absolutely walked my head there but do you, uh, from, from having seen it it feels as though it's like dlc rather than a, a, a 50 quid game itself so, some people have made that uh made that suggestion i think that, i think that's maybe a bit harsh i think um it's, three hours so you can complete it in three hours I, I think standard I think if you go and play in it your average average is going to be like six to eight hours first playthrough which is short for a modern day game but it's not terrible if it's a if it's a really good experience and it's got some replay value which this one does I, I feel um, then that's not so bad um, it's more the big problem with it is well, Initially, I was going to have we were going to do the secret sauce, and the RE engine was going to be my my secret sauce because the Resident Evil series is my favorite. It's my favorite um, games franchise, and it kind of lost its way a bit mm-hmm. um, from four onwards. Four was a really good game, but it kind of lost what made it great from there onwards. It became more of an action game, and it lost its kind of survival 
horror elements. And then, I think particularly when you got to episode five, I think the, the opening exchanges of episode five are quite scary, but then it gets daft as it goes on. And then the, yeah. the sixth installment was just... It wasn't a Resident Evil game. It was more like a Call of Duty game with zombies and are, are infected. They got a lot just of... Like, loads of shooting, loads of punching. They got a lot of criticism and they, they knew they needed to just clear the decks and start again. So they, they started with this new game engine and Resident Evil 7 was the first game to come from it. And they, they, they made it first person, which they had never done before, which really worked. But they, they just brought back the survival horror elements, like the limited ammo and the... the the, the inventory management and the puzzles and the and the, mm-hmm. the, the the creepiness and not knowing what's around the next corner and through the next door and all that kind of stuff. So they brought that back and then uh, applied that to the Resident Evil 2 remake, which is one of the best games I've ever played. They, they yeah. applied that to the over-the-shoulder element and it's it's really, really amazing. And then 3's come after this. Now, um, for remaking 3, it does what it does well, I think, because 3 was supposed to be just a spin-off but then became became the 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 kind of sequel as part of like a three-game contract that they had initially uh, during the time of the PS1 with the original series so remaking this remaking 3 was never going to be as good as 2 um and it's and it's more action based it's like um it's got a different pace to it and that kind of thing so it does all those things well um there's definitely a relentlessness to it particularly I mean from, yeah. the, from about 2 minutes into it it's like boom, and then it, it very rarely uh, lets up from that level of intensity. And that's what that's what the original was like. So, like I say, it does that. The problem that it has, I feel, like I say, I don't think it's the length. I think it's the classic Resident Evil games. The the first one and the second one, they have the mansion and the police station, and those are like very kind of convoluted buildings, and you have to really kind of work hard to clear corridors and find keys and yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And there's only certain routes you can go. You can't. And sometimes you have to double back and uh, and they. Just just, they pull it off so well and uh, the, the opening of Resident Evil 3 Raccoon City it doesn't really have that it, it feels like a much kind of smaller experience and it's 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 easy just to kind of once you've done it once it really doesn't take much time to kind of to, to race through it so I think it's, I think it's far too linear I think that's what I'm trying to say it's far too linear compared yeah, to well, the early stages like- of the, the the other games I mentioned that, that's something that, that I noticed watching the, the playthrough on the, the Resident Evil 3 Nemesis on the, the PlayStation. There are, for, for instance, within five minutes of the game, when you're outside the police station, you've got the option to fight the Nemesis monster or flee to the police station. And, and, and Nemesis will pop up at various points throughout the game and you're given, it will sort of, the screen will freeze and your options come up as to, as to what you want to do. You can hide from them, you can face them and so on. Um, and uh, that's certainly added something to the game that wasn't there in, in Resident Evil 2 and I was surprised to see that element taken away from it that sort of that, that unique element from it and I think that's something that, that takes away from the replay value because in the PlayStation version you could well I, I chose this option yeah. first time I'm going to choose the second option this time you can you don't have that kind of do that you- still I mean when he bursts out a wall and you're presented with him you still have the option to like put him on his knees and then run or just run. So I suppose you kind of still have that without the options popping up on the screen. The Nemesis is one of the other things, before we move on, I just wanted to talk about quickly. The Nemesis was really a case of what could have been as well, because um, Mr. X from the 
2 remake is really what Nemesis should have been. He stalks you. He appears like halfway through you doing the police station bit in 2, Mr. X, sorry, and he just relentlessly stalks you until you complete the rest of that bit and you can hear his footsteps coming in the distance. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he doesn't just auto-generate either wherever you are. He moves around the map in real time like you do. So it's a really clever mechanic. Um, and for Nemesis... He just appears and stalks you for parts of the game until you kind of get out of that area. And then yeah. after Raccoon City, it's just all um, it's all kind of set pieces and boss fights against them. That, it's, that, it's, that it's, element's it's, gone, and it's it, it's like I said, it's, it's a case of what could have been for the game, really. I find that that's one of the disappointing things. I found that like all three games, so Resident Evil One, Two, and Three, they all basically end in a secret lab. It's like you've kind of got the interesting <laughs> part. You've got a mansion, a police station, streets are kind city. Sewers, and then... A mission, and then, <laughs> yeah. it ends, then it ends in, uh, in a lab. The other thing as well, Craig, I noticed... Sorry, well, this will be the last thing we'll say about Resident oh, Evil 3. Um, Jill Valentine should have been killed in that because there's the number of bumps and the number of big falls. You know, a car accident, she falls off like a, 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 a multi-storey car park. Yeah. Uh, you should at least have like broken ribs. Or Even the, like the or opening something. sequence, like 30 seconds into the opening sequence, he yeah. has her by the throat and you think he could just kill her there and that would yeah. be it over. Right. Uh, I, always, I, I really wanted to play Resident Evil. I tried it when I was younger, but it actually does... I do find it almost too scary. Yeah. I don't have the reaction times. That's why I watch YouTube videos, Tony. That's why I watch people do it on YouTube. You can you can do it vicariously through them. I genuinely like, I don't have the reactions when they come round. I get too scared, and then it's and then I'm dead, and it's such a yeah. constant theme of it. And it was the same even on PC games like Doom and Quake when I was a kid. Yeah, there's too <laughs> many jumps, and I'm just not I'm not fast enough to do it. I need it to be a, a whole lot slower for me and not as scary for me to sort of immerse myself in the game. Craig Anderson, what's been grinding your gears? Presumably it's sitting in silence while we talk about video games. <laughs> I wasn't sitting in silence, so that's the first thing. Is um, My neighbour who decided to start uh, trimming their hedge halfway through that. Um, they don't they know I've got a podcast to do? Um, but they seem to have stopped for now, but if the audio comes right back. Um, I'm going to go for um, narrators on TV programmes. Um, now, I'm starting to have a real problem with narrators like trying to inject themselves into the programme where they just they should just be there to provide an oversight on the programme. Now, I think this started with Come Down With Me. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was just thinking that, that was quite funny. That. that was quite Aye. funny. And so generally, it was well received because they kind of took the piss out of the characters and it probably made the programme more watchable because otherwise it's just a bunch of folk you don't know making rubbish food. <laughs> but the, the narrator would kind of, um, he would kind of make a, make a wee joke about what the people were up to and, and it would be, it'd be a good laugh. Then um, you started to kind of gradually see other people trying to capture that moment, but just being unable to do it. And so we've started to see that in, in a lot more programs recently. Now, the one that brought it to mind particularly was we were watching, and it's not a very good program in general, but um, Paul Hollywood in Japan. Um, so he's traveling around Japan, trying to kind of try the food and stuff. And it's Rebecca Front, who I, who I generally quite like. She She's narrating the programme, but she's trying... Rebecca Front is um, from the Thick of It. Yeah, I Thick think so. It, yeah. She's in... Um, I, I was going to say Drop the Dead Donkey. I could be wrong on that. No, 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 knowing me, knowing you. Yeah, she does a bunch of stuff. very, very good actor. Um, but, Thick of It, absolutely brilliant. Um, but she does the, um, the narration for it, and she's just like trying to 
inject herself far too much in the program. I appreciate she's a you know a comic actress or whatever, and so she's she's wanting to be involved, but it just feels like it, it detracts from the program in some senses. And it's not the only one that's done that. And um, I mean, it's mostly junk programs, I guess, that it happens in. But um, don't tell the bride. I've always found that like it's a kind of background program you can have on. Whoever narrates that, they always are like try to like make stupid jokes, and it's like I don't I don't need you to do that. Like just just t- tell me what's happening. Tell me what I need to know without you know the narrators there to kind of share the facts, so the presenter doesn't have to. They're not there to. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. If I'm watching, okay, I'm not really. But if I'm watching Paul Hollywood in Japan, I want to hear Paul Hollywood. I don't want to hear what you, a person who didn't go to Japan, thinks about anything. <laughs> um, so it's just that. That's really kind of pissed me off in it, and it, it, it brought it to the fore with me. I'd say, but it's, it's something that I've really noticed creeping in. It's like this attempt to almost um, make make the person who's not involved into the story like just just talk, and and you grow to really appreciate a good voiceover once you once you see that that's the case you know the ones that they just tell you what's going on quite quietly in the background you think of John Hanna doing um, Race Across the World he just tells you some facts about La Paz yeah or um, what, what the they're yeah, I was, just, I was just going to say that, Craig, about uh, Race, Race Across the World. I've been watching it recently on the recommendation of the, of the folk on the podcast as well. And I, I like how, like you say, he, he just kind of gives you facts about the area and stuff, but then they leave in bits about uh, the contestants being dumb British tourists. Like, they'll leave in bits. Like So they'll let those bits do the, the mocking of the contestants. Like, they'll be at a, a Peruvian kind of... Um, uh, church or something like that, and it's annoying that we can't understand it or something like that. They'll leave like that line in and things like that, which I quite like. It was a guy. It was a, when the the really annoying um, woman who's Jen um, in this series when she asks, uh, she goes into Brazil and they say, "Do you speak? Uh, they speak Portuguese here." And then she asks, "Like which other country do they speak Portuguese in?" And her husband tells her Portugal, and she's like, "Yeah, I thought that was the case, but I didn't want to sound stupid." I'm like it's Portuguese. What, what other what other countries must be that's the language that starts with Portuguese. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. But that, like, so that's an example of a It's like a, like a referee, I suppose. You you kind of just want them to do their job without being noticed. You you only notice things like narration really when it's done badly or it's done very well. It's like these things are always underappreciated. Uh, by viewers uh, and like you only notice like the actual skill level of these people uh, when it's done. Uh, but it's done badly and then you, it helps you appreciate people that are actually actually good at it yeah it's like football commentary is another one yeah you know you, that, that said there, there are certain certain Scottish football commentators that perhaps try to insist themselves on the game a little bit too much when a, a soft touch would do too many Scottish football commentators want to be um, is it Kenneth Wallerstone is that what's the guy's name Wallerstone I think we just got three different pronunciations there. (laughs) Uh, Kenneth, who narrated the the 1966 World Cup final, there's too many uh, commentators who perhaps want to want to sound like that when it's uh, when it's not necessarily appropriate to do. That's it. You want to be like the N'Golo Kante. That's it. You know, when you if you take him out of the team, you you really notice him. But when he's in there, he's doing all the unfussy work. He's the the grease in the wheels. That's what a good narrator should be doing. Um, Tony. What has been what has been uh, ripping your knitting? Um, well, I think it, it sort of leads on a bit from uh, Gary Cocker's sort of chat last week uh, about the sort of lockdown and people on the Facebook groups and the complaining uh, 
about sort of hunting people down who've not been clapping at the right time or whatever. Uh, and it is sort of like having the the whole sort of two metres thing outside is giving birth to another level of busybody, if you like. And, uh, and I'm really worried about how that's going to impact the world as we sort of move more into normality. Because you see already the, the huffing, the sighing when people are in situations um, when people are trying in supermarkets or outside, I had a friend who got eviscerated when he was running through the middle of the road, and this woman was on the on the pavement behind a car, and and, and she she lost to him uh, about that, and he was like totally dumbfounded on how to react. Uh, I don't want to go into language that was used, but uh, so it's just uh, I, I worry about in the future about how when we're moving around, people are just going to be complaining constantly about these things and it'll be really difficult to get that normality and, and ability to ability to relax there's, when you're going out and about or going to the pub or etc there's, there's ways and means to conduct yourself in these sort of situations i i think it's like being courteous without like you know like making like say for instance in the supermarket if you stop if you're in the aisle with someone and they stop at the same bit as you i'll just grab what i need i'm not going to that sounds bad, doesn't it? Actually, you say it like that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. You, it, it's too late. So you might as well just get it all over with. Doing the huge strides back and doing bulbous eyes and putting your arms out and stuff, I think creates a, 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 it's sort of much worse. Uh, right. uh, and then, and so I, I think like making people uncomfortable. There's no way around. Obviously, you want to do your best to be two meters away from each other. You want to follow it. You want everyone to stay healthy. But there is going to be points where it's going to be difficult. And if, if someone's sort of wandering around pushing everyone over and, uh, and sort of running around and being an idiot, then absolutely comment. Or, um, But it's just that the really over-the-top thing that you're seeing people doing, and it's just another another way for, for them to, to complain and, and, and sort of get angry um, and sort of make people feel uncomfortable. And I just, and as I said, my biggest worry is when we start to move towards more normality, more things are open, people are going outside, but sort of social distancing is being um, practiced at all times. There's going to be difficulties. It's going to be impossible. There's going to be bits where people come around corners at the same time. Primark is still going to be really busy when people are buying shite stuff. Um, so it's just, um, so I think I mean, there has to be an acceptance that it's never going to be perfect and having people zooming around trying to make other people feel small uh, in relation to it, uh, I don't think it'll help at all. And so it's a kind of common balance that we always seem to be having a lot of things between like the rules and like common sense. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as long as people are trying their best and yeah. people understand what they're supposed to be doing, that's much more important than someone accidentally being 1.9 metres from you for 30 seconds. Yeah. So it's like it's like make if people behave if people act I guess it's like football if you act in the spirit of the the laws then um, that's that's ultimately what you're trying to do um, you can stand two meters away and be much more of a risk by like sneezing on someone yeah. than you can be by standing a wee bit closer but covering your face or walk you know it's it's all this it's like people who become really insistent on very strict and specific like rules rigidly rather than understanding why they exist yeah no so sorry I, uh, I, I, I completely completely agree with you uh, on, on that it's um, as we move to this sort of well normality I use inverted commas there it'll be interesting to see how, how we progress but it's not helpful in the slightest uh, when, when people 
you know, when people enforce rules too strongly, or as we saw as some pictures down uh, in parts of England during the VE day <laughs> yesterday, not at all, but just having <laughs> big street parties where everyone just having a, a big what, what, carry what on. says thank you for your sacrifices during the war more than a conga? Yeah. Uh, the, ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate, it's like. Uh, the ultimate tool of remembrance. But you see, yeah, you see yeah. the pictures of of down south, and they're like they're just calling it a social distancing street party, but no one's even remotely social distancing. It's like just, uh, what's the what's the point? Just have this. If, if you're going to flaunt the laws, just do it. Just like wow. if you're going to do it, buy into it, go all in. And it's it's remarkable. Whilst it's obviously it's just to commemorate the the people who you know beat, beating the Nazis and the people who who sacrificed their lives for the for the greater good, all that sort of stuff, which is is, is certainly worth remembering. Um, I'm sure that's what uh, that's what our brave boys would have wanted uh, people to their sacrifice. So a bunch of lads could all have a a conga with uh, <laughs> with, with one another. That's. Uh, that's exactly it. But I, I'm, I'm for, for what's been grinding my gears. I'm, I'm going to go over a topic that I discussed about last week, and uh, the person that's actually really not to say grind my gears, but really managed to get under my skin is Ricky Gervais. Um, I after watching, glad we're back here. I'm glad we're back here. Brilliant. I, well, well, like after I watched, after I watched Afterlife, uh, and thought this is this is really bad. Afterlife is really bad, and it's like the number of people online that that fell for it. And I'm like, oh god, it's so emotional. I was on a roller coaster, laughing one minute, crying the next. It's like, well, if you find an old woman saying "cunt" hilarious, right? Then, 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 then more power to you, more power to you. But after after watching after after watching Afterlife, I I, I went and was reading about Ricky Gervais's uh, like um, filmography and, and his TV works on, on Wikipedia. You know, I was reading about Derek, and and, and Derek's this sort of like outlier in his uh, in, in his uh, back catalogue. Remember that when the pilot was on Channel Four in two thousand and twelve, and at this point, uh, Gervais's TV work had included The Office, included Extras, and Life's Too Short. Now, The Office, best comedy I've ever seen, one of my all time favourite TV programmes. Extras uh, is is good. Exodus is, is very, very funny in parts, particularly the, the lower rank of celebrity they got, the better it was. For instance, like Les Dennis, Ross Kemp, very funny. But I thought Life's Too Short was terrible, like yeah, really, awful. really bad, where it's like they're, it's effectively Extras meets The Office with like a Warwick Davis, who's a, a little person, and a lot I, of the jokes. Can I, can I sort of interject there about like, I really dislike Warwick Davis. I've, I actually just think he's quite nasty. Uh, I, I managed to watch a bit of, you know, when he tra- he done that travelling show with Carl Pilkington. Uh, I did not know they did that. They they done a travel show together. Um, what's it? Um, something being dumb. It was like they, Carl Pilkington had done one himself previously. An idiot abroad. An idiot abroad. Yeah, and they'd done it this time, but Warren Davis went with them. And um, obviously, the point is that uh, Carl Pilkington is meant to be quite a reluctant. Traveler, reluctant to try new things, but um, Warwick Davis is, it just comes across, and, and it's obviously it's meant to be Warwick Davis as himself. He's not playing a character at all. He comes across an arsehole. He treats yeah, Carl he quite, quite quite badly, uh, and, I, and so I, and, and like so that was the first time I'd really saw Warwick Davis uh, during a period um, where he was sort of definitely not playing a character, even though life's too short's meant to be like that. But obviously it's heightened. But this is absolutely meant oh, to be. Him. There, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> what was that, sorry? You see, it heightened, so I've made no pun. Oh, yeah, anything. sorry. <laughs> but I, 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 thought, I thought Life's Too Short was crap. The only bit in Life's Too Short that was really funny was uh, Liam Neeson uh, and the style of Taken talking about comedy, funny monologues, parody, 
all that sort of stuff was really good. So I went back and watched Derek, and I remember watching the, the pilot when it was first broadcast on Channel 4 in 2012 and thinking, I can't believe how bad this is. This is this this this, this is really bad. Um, and, and didn't give it another go after that because I thought, this guy's lost it. This guy's gone from, from like, 12 years previously, like I say, making the best TV show, one of the best TV shows I've ever seen, to, to absolute, absolute garbage. So I thought after watching Afterlife, you know what, stick them on in a row and just breeze through them all. There's 14 episodes. Uh, and it gives me no pleasure to say this, but I think Derek is the worst TV show I've ever watched. Now, I get a lot of stick because I, I, I've watched Badil Syndrome a lot. I get a lot of stick because I own some of the worst movies of all time. But Badil, Badil Syndrome is just shit because it's just, it's just bad and it's cheap and it's really lazily written. Whereas I think that what makes Derek so bad, that there's, a, there's a deep unpleasantness to it. And I think a lot of it stems from Gervais' portrayal of Derek. Now, Gervais has said in the past that, that Derek is supposed to be Oh, you know, he's just a really sweet. He's really innocent. He's really lovely. He's just he sees the world through this like he's just so naive. And and he was questioned about it. He said, "You you quite clearly the, the character has has got like some form of of disability." <laughs> and he's like, "No, why why would why would you say that?" And I said, "Well, without, oh, without wishing to punch down, without wishing to punch down, it's like he's got a real his gait. You know, he's got a real weird way. Not weird way. That's the completely wrong way. Like he shuffles when he's walking." He's got an underbite, that, you know. He he's got a, some sort of he can't some sort of speech difficulties, and it, like his childlike like naivety, you know. You take all these things into into consideration. I'm sorry if I, if I, if, I, if I've used the wrong terminology, but you take all those things in, into consideration. And it's very clear that that Derek is has got like learning difficulties. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely no doubt. There's absolutely no and, doubt. And I think for for Gervais to try and say that that. That, that he doesn't is just is massively insulting and and we're, we're not laughing we're not laughing with Derek we're laughing at him and, and one of the, the pilot episodes he falls into a pond that's the joke that's the joke he, fall, he falls into a pond and then on, on top of that so you've got you've got this, this Derek character who's played so badly there's a character in it called Kev who is a sex obsessed alcoholic and he's probably the most irritating character in a TV show I've, I, I think I've ever seen. I was going to bring him up. I think he's literally one of the worst characters I've ever seen in a comedy. Just such a lazy, lazy character. All he does is talk about shagging. There's a bit in it where a, a, a resident in this care home where, where, the, where the show's set, uh, talking about getting uh, uh, getting waxed, getting her intimate area waxed. And this this guy Kev starts talking. I'm already, about, I'm already not liking the sound of that. Like it, it no, doesn't sound. It doesn't it's sound like it lends itself to high end humour. No, it, it, it's not. Weirdly, as well, for, for Ricky Gervais, parodied shite comedy on when the whistle blows and extras. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like it. extras. It's unbelievable. Stand, standard of comedy, and so this guy Kev is talking to the woman's grandson and talking about what he wants to do to a woman, uh, like like since since she's been waxed, and it's like. If you were a normal person, hearing someone talk about your grand like that, you'd fucking punch them. <laughs> you would, are you telling them to shut the fuck up? You would not sit there and indulge this guy. And in the final episode, he basically causes a fire. The guy, the guy's what he's doing in this care home. He just he's, he's he just hangs about in the care home, lives in a trailer outside it, and he causes a fire while a young carer is being assessed, and he gets chucked out. The 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 the, the what's a, a, a Hannah? I think her name is. Uh, played by Kerry Godleman she basically chucks him and said I've had enough of you away you go and then they, they go and visit him in hospital and it's like 
oh no he is actually a good guy he is a nice guy and we've not seen any evidence to suggest that at all is this a lot Gervais this is something exactly exactly yeah. Tony this is something that, that Gervais does all the time throughout his comedy gives these characters these inexplicable redemptive arcs that have come out of nowhere that they haven't deserved he hasn't he hasn't shown his working at all so it's just like and then there's the, the, the music is really sad and it's manipulative and he is such a fucking hack like every episode the, the, the writing in it was like it felt as though that everyone outside the care home these are weird people but the, the only sane people were the ones in the care home like a lot of the characters would come from outside into the care home to visit relatives or stuff they, they looked down on them they were sniffy they were so one dimensional and just everything was just designed to cheat you into into um, into sentimentality the, po- the point you made last week about afterlife about I'm trying to uh, gain emotion without putting the work in I thought was just uh, I was really pleased listening to it last week because I've I've had this feeling about Gervais for a long time have and seen, have you seen Life on the Road the David Brent movie yes it's awful does that it's, it, it, it's shame <laughs> He does the exact same thing. Does does, exact like, same everyone thing. hates him. Everyone hates him. Everyone hates him. Randomly, oh, everyone likes him. There's no guys had a brilliant time in this tour. You know, it's been had, had a great time. It's like there's about twenty minutes missing of that sort of building that relationship up yeah. with, these, uh, with with his bandmates. So, I, like, I, I did, so, and I was really liked because I've been trying to figure out this sort of language. And obviously, you, you're you're much better with words than I am. So, listen to you uh, last week when you were describing it. It was. Uh, as finally was told me next time I'm in the pub having this argument you've given me the avenue and the, the ammo that I've been looking for for a long time it just he, as you say he's a hack he doesn't he doesn't he builds these things he doesn't deserve them you're just meant to just accept that they've happened you know someone as well man like last night as, as well like obviously I had a fucking great night last night I went back and watched some of extras like I was on a roll here I was on a roll so I, I weirdly if you're to watch Ricky Gervais you hate yourself Craig a lot of the it sounds like you just hate yourself <laughs> I hate this I hate this so I'm going to watch as much his entire back catalogue if you're to watch Ricky Gervais's career like his TV career in reverse you say this guy's terrible but then right at the very end it's like my god he's, he's achieved something wonderful which is like David Brent in, in The Office when there is an actual arc when there is an actual arc at the end that accepts yeah. him because it shows it shows all the working that whole yeah. Christmas special like like shows David Brent I mean I know that the the office um the office series one David Brent's not a nice guy at all you know not a nice guy at all but you begin to see chinks of that it's all the point when Neil comes in and the Swindon mm-hmm. lot come in that those levels exactly that vulnerability mm-hmm. here's someone Neil who is better looking than him younger than him better at his job and him more popular than him funnier than him and he can't handle that, and all those insecurities sort of build up to, to the like the, the the comic relief episode, which mm-hmm. leads to him being sacked. And then when he realizes he doesn't have that safety net of the motivational speaking, when that gets taken away from him, it's like he's got nothing left, and he has to plead to get his job back. And that that sort of that gear to, that's been coming though. That sort of pleading stuff been coming, and mm-hmm. it's only very subtly done at the end. And he's like, oh, "Please don't make me redundant." And then the whole Christmas ep- Christmas special, you've got two episodes, which more or less about two-thirds of each episode focus exclusively on Brent and making him a sympathetic character. So at the end, when he tells Finchie to fuck off and gets his laugh when he gets a photo with the Wernham Hog guys, yeah, that is yeah. all completely deserved. So well yeah. done. Um, but perfect, perfectly written television. Now compare that to the Christmas special and extras, which I watched where you've got Andy Millman has been a fucking dick throughout the entire thing hasn't been paying attention to Maggie hasn't realised the 
the problem she's been going through, the fact that she's having to live in a, she's having to do rubbish jobs and she's having to live in a pretty grotty flat. He's, he's obsessed with this idea of celebrity. He's been horrible throughout it. Then all of a sudden he goes into celebrity big brother and that's when he realises that the sort of celebrity doesn't really have any value. That's It takes all that to, to for him to get his sense of self-worth back. It's like just a massive gear change in the final five minutes of the show and it doesn't feel deserved and just because you start crying and just because you start playing a woman's worth by Kate Bush like, like over the, the bits it does not count so I, I, fuck off That's, I think the thing for me with, with that is like The Office like I, I've probably watched I've watched The Office several times and I've watched the extras at least three or four times kind of throughout and for The Office I can remember exactly what happens in it and I remember the story and I can think back in extras I don't I liked it at the time I, I do still like it and as you say like the Les Dennis and um, Ross Kemp episodes are, are, are fantastic but if you ask me to tell you what the story is of extras I'm, I can't really remember there's not much of a there's not much of a story it seems to me they just go doing a series of films or a series of bits with famous people and then at the end he gets the big break into television and then and the yeah, there's no the, huge plot in extras at all no he's just trying, he's just trying to make it as a writer it's it's sad because obviously I, I was similar to when you were talking last uh, week, uh, Craig Telfer. That was uh, like how big again the the importance of the, the office as a show to you. And I was the same. I would tell anyone when I was fifteen or something that was my that's you're talking about Ricky Gervais. It's probably like the first sort of way that I would stand and have a conversation with people when I was genuinely analysing a show with some sort of depth in the discussion where it wasn't just I like that that's good or whatever. Um, and and to, and like his career's changed, his personality's changed. He claims it's not, uh, and he you always had the sort. Story. You know, it's to be like it must be like see the office. It must be for the office is like the Smiths, you know, and everything's done. That's like <laughs> Morrison is now wearing sort of like the the Britain first pin badge and stuff. And you're like you're sort of like watching. I cannot believe that. that I mean, it's not going to change. Like this guy was important to me, and I like him. Like, like, like how big an influence something's like had in your life, and the person who's done that, you kind of see them. 20 years down the line you're sort of like ah come on man this is uh because the humour and everything, like the, the delivery of lines and stuff that you do, and you 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 don't realise it, but you have copied well, it from things yeah, yeah. that you a whole generation watched. has. Yeah, yeah. Just absolutely. to just to spit in Ricky Gervais's face while he's down, um, I would also add to all this that his is he's not translated to Hollywood well at all. That's one of the things that's kind of stood out for me. And his movies have the air of he thinks he's like this modern day Woody Allen or something like that, and he's just. He's, he's, he's movies it's all concept comedy all his movies eh? it's all concept yeah yeah that's it real depth to them. it's like he comes up with an idea in a room and then he's got to flesh it out for two hours and it's just a setup so he can go on about how God doesn't yeah. exist and he knows yeah. better than everybody yeah. else and that kind of thing those kind of you don't realise that loads of people think that it's like he's the only as you say the only sane guy in the room Craig and this sort of religious stick that he goes through is like there's loads of people that are atheists so it's those people that are atheists, even though they're they're Catholic. Oh, I mean, like me, my, 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 Tony, there was, myself, there was for one, instance. Uh, there was one bit in Exodus that I was just actually not Exodus. Sorry, watching Derek, I was like, for fuck's sake! It's a bit where there's the 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 woman who runs care home, Hannah and Tom. That's our, our, our fiance. They're getting married, and so they meet a minister who comes in. And the, the minister talks about, trying to talk to him about the relationship with God and stuff. And they say, oh, we don't really have one. And he's like, well, you, then I'm afraid you're not going to get married yet. And I thought, oh, I thought this is such a hack. You've just added this in to show that, that God's not accepting of people, you know? Yeah. So go and get a secular service 
in our in our registry office, and I thought, "There's Ricky Gervais here with two fingers up to organise religion." I think there was a time um, where the the idea that God is dead was kind of revived. You know, I mean, around the time of the office and all that kind. Of, I think there was a kind of. I don't know. I just remember around the a time there was a kind of bit of like at the height of the popularity of what's his name, Richard Dawkins, and all that kind of. Is that was that his name? Yes. Yeah. 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 Around like that kind of time, and and Ricky Gervais was was one of the people at the heart of that in his in his stand up comedy and all that kind of thing. But it's like he's he's content. Like nobody else is going on about it anymore, and it's like he's yeah. still going on about it. everything that he writes, every TV show that he makes, he has to drop in. Some sort of reference even, that he's even religious he's this people have atheist. accepted that God isn't actually real. Like <laughs> they've, they've moved on from there. Yeah, <laughs> just and and now I think a lot of people have accepted that that faith's a way of sort of um, sort of thinking about bigger meanings of yourself, a way of sort of morality and stuff like that. And it just that he's, he's screaming into the abyss. With yeah. the, nobody's listening. <laughs> like I've seen, I remember seeing a tweet, a, a, a funny tweet. It was like, imagine it's the year, it's the year twenty fifty. Earth has been desolated. There's nothing there except Ricky Gervais just walking along through the wasteland, just going, "Have offended you? Is anyone offended?" And that sort of—I thought I remember reading that. It's like that is a hundred percent bang on. That became that sort of caricature of himself yeah, uh, because he yeah, always had that sort of shtick as he was as he, and it was sort of much more uh, sort of fun when he wasn't so sort of large and famous. And now you're like, yeah. but why do you need to? What, what, who are you trying to convince? Everyone knows. You're, you, everyone knows your fan. Everyone knows your massive. Everyone knows uh, you've got loads of money. There's no need. It just doesn't work anymore. You can't always play this sort of underdog. You're not the underdog anymore. Totally, totally. You know that. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're, you're absolutely right there. With, with the same with as right, right, writing. You're you're not the underdog anymore. This must be how it feels when uh, you saw you, your favorite album of all time is The Queen Is Dead. And you see Morrissey perform in London in the early nineties, wrapped in with skinheads all dancing about in the Union Jack. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't. I mean, we we have we we spent about twenty minutes giving Ricky Gervais an absolute kick in here, but the, unbelievably, there is still more of this podcast to go. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, when we realised we're having, the, I was having a conversation about Final Fantasy VII with absolutely no one. It kind of dawned on us that. It wasn't as much, so much of a discussion, but more of a presentation where we were both taking sort of arbitrary topics and and presenting them to to one another. So I I thought well, what might be a, a fun idea is if we all watch a movie together, not together, but we all watch the same movie and then talk about it. And so for the the very first, I don't know if this is the very first, but certainly is certainly is the the very first in May, the very first Terrace Podcast Movie Club, we watched Drive. Now, uh, for those who haven't seen it, Drive is Nicholas Winden Reffin's 2011 noir crime action heist thriller. I suppose that's the best way to describe it. And it stars Ryan Gosling as the driver. He is a mechanic and a stunt diver by day, but he's a getaway driver at night for criminals. Now, he gets involved with his next-door neighbour, Irene, adeptly played by Carrie Mulligan. And when her husband, Standard, is released from prison, the driver is obliged to help him to clear his debts to Albanian gangsters. And it's at this point where things start to get interesting. Craig Anderson, what did you think of Drive? So I'd, I'd never seen it before, so this is my first time watching it. And really? Yeah, I, I, Me too. I'm not a big film person in general. Like I don't, I don't really watch a lot of films. I, not that I, it's not that I even don't like them. I just generally don't spend sorry, the time. Sorry to interrupt you, there, Craig. I, I, had you guys all seen it? Did you see it before, Tony? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd seen, but funnily enough, I hadn't seen the end because I watched it at a friend's house and the internet cut out and I couldn't get the ending. So last <laughs> night was, last night was, I, I got to see the last 10 minutes, which is something I've been meaning to do for ages, but I'd seen the rest of it the whole time. For a man, a man who doesn't often watch movies, then did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. So, so watching kind of the first bit through, I was like, I'm not sure about this, the first half hour or so, or even 40 minutes, maybe. So it's about, about, it's just about 80, 85 minutes, quite a short film. Um, and I was like, I'm not sure because I didn't really, I didn't really identify with the character. I was like, I, I don't really have any stake here. I don't really care about Ryan Gosling's character at this point. Like, he seemed like a bit of an asshole. Like, like just even things like when he goes into, um, I, I know it's part of the kind of plot thing, but he doesn't speak to people. I'm like, it's, it's not really, you know, the the guy showing him, giving him a car at the start to be his getaway car. And the guy's t- telling him all this stuff about this, and he just nods along, doesn't say a word. And I'm like, this it's just a bit rude. And then um, he, he goes in and meets Carrie Mulligan's character, and, and she's like, um, you know, asking him what he does and, and has a chat. And I'm like, he leaves without asking her a single thing about her life, um, apart from her, her, her husband being in jail. So I'm like, I don't really like, I don't, I don't really like this guy. But no reason to kind of identify with him. The pace is quite slow. And then all of a sudden it gets to um, the, the botched uh, getaway, which is actually, it turns out to be a kind of double cross set up. Mm-hmm. And he's in the hotel room and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, the, the pace just changes very quickly when he um, he slaps Christina Hendricks' character, yeah. which just kind of comes quite out of the blue to me. It's like... It's- it's the bit you're absolutely right. That is the 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 sort of the moment in the movie where it really does kick up a couple of gears. And it's Your change. Your change. Afterwards, where and might as well get into spoiler territory here. If you haven't seen it, then 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 stop listening right now and go and watch it. But where Christina Hendricks' character's head gets blasted off with a shotgun. <laughs> so at that point, you're sort of like, whoa, we we are really going in a, a different direction here. I think it's that it, scene it, where he realizes, like, what he what he's become or what he is this is his life this is his existence now like this kind of survival thing that's what I kind of took from that scene as well there was a bit in it for me where the stakes kind of raised he goes to visit Shannon played by Brian Cranston who's who's been his mentor and it's when Brian Cranston t- sorry when Shannon tells him that he mentioned to Bernie played by Albert Brooks who's the sort of the, the main one of the main antagonists in it that the, the driver had a relationship with his next door neighbour and it's at that point the stakes really kick up I think Ryan Gosling has been uh, fairly fairly passive I think as, as you say Craig Anderson at the start of the movie it's basically people telling him what like like the whole bit when, when the, the, at the start of the movie when, he's, when, he's, when he's, the car's been set up for him for the first getaway it, it, he's fairly passive but at this point you really see I mean he's he's gotten by the lapels he's shaking him he's, he's aggressive towards him and at that really point the stakes sort of changed in the movie for me because yeah, I think quite- it looks it looks from the start as if like you, you think he is just um, you know some placid driver guy who happens to do some getaway driving and, and you know like so he's good at driving and you think that's his skill you know and, and the chasing at the start and you see you know is him um, escaping from the police and how he does it and you're like right this guy's really good at driving so he's been sucked into this criminal underworld as such as a way to make money out of his driving but then all of a sudden yeah with the the um, it's it's actually it starts with the slap um, on Christina Hendricks, which I think yeah, is is for me the moment. And then yeah, you see him defending himself against the guy trying to kill him, and so on. And then you're like, all of a sudden, it becomes like a you know he's stabbing people and he's shooting people, and he's like very suddenly ramped up. Exactly and you're like, well, this is not what I saw from this character. You didn't really you didn't really get that impression from him up until that point, and you realise no, he's he's kind of in control of this whole situation. 
Because what was quite and what I found quite interesting about you saying uh, about him being rude, if you like, uh, Craig Anderson is, uh, I think you see the angle that he's quite a reluctant. Uh, he's yeah. reluctant in the world that he's in. Uh, you see it when um, I forget the character's name when he wants to shake his hand at the racetrack and he clearly doesn't want to do it. Bernie, that's uh, he says, my hands are dirty, so are mine. Yeah. So he clearly doesn't want to get involved, but he knows. But it's like he's got an acceptance that he's in that world. So it's like um, but Tony, he, it's he something like it. that scene. Something I noticed about the. I'm, I'm going to say really wanky here. The composition of that shot where Bernie, it's sort of filmed over Bernie's shoulder. He's standing. He's standing above him. Yeah. So it, it, it just the way the way it's done there, sort of with the camera pointing downwards. You really got that sense of, you know, that you're right. He is getting sort of pulled into something uh, bigger. Aye. He says, like Shannon with Brian Cranston's character uh, I know that he, he doesn't say a lot of words to him but I think that there may be a, even though he's got maybe quite like some and he, he creates uh, opportunities for him I think he knows that he sort of rips him off a bit and he, maybe I think there's maybe an underlying blame of Shannon for the situations and the way he has to live his life uh, and that's why I think he's quite short with with everyone because uh, I, just, I don't actually believe that he really likes anyone that he really has to deal with at any point and, they, and I think the music the electro pop is so mainly when, he, when he's with when he's with um, Irene uh, and I think that's sort of like that music's quite upbeat and quite uplifting uh, and I think that sort of shows that that's the only time that he's actually pretty happy with, with his yeah, lot that, and the things that he's doing that's a, the, the, I mean the, the, mu- the music is Cliff Martin has scored the movie the music in it's, it's phenomenal and I think that music and, and it's even the way that, that Drive is written the way it's been stylized. I think really think that brought a sort of like 80s revival back into Definitely. sort of movies where there was a big push for sort of like neon and sort of like a subtle electronic sort of 80s analog synth sort of stuff but but that scene the where it's a, a real a real hero by college is the, the song that sort of yeah. became the, the basically theme from driver that 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 bit where he's driving along with um down the the are they, are they flood flood defenses i'm not sure what they are in los angeles with uh, irene and her son benicio that's a really t- tender scene and for a movie that's quite a quite a hard movie and quite a violent movie I really like that juxtaposition there's a lovely bit when he's, he's carrying Benicio back to the apartment mm-hmm. and he's wrapped in his jacket with the, the scorpion in the back and it's in slow motion and Irene is, is following them in I thought that was a, a really nice scene and, and they come back to that same song at the end when he's um, you know kind of driving away as such into the into the sunset ensuring yeah, her safety uh, my, going back, I mean, my my favourite scene in the movie is the the pre credit sequence. I absolutely love that, and that's it reminded me. I don't know. Did you guys ever play the video game Driver on yep. the, the yep. PlayStation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now there's a bit where where he's on the phone. The driver's on the phone to the the people he's setting up the 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 first heist with. And he's talking about the terms. He said, for five minutes, you get me. Uh, anything that happens, I'm all yours. Anything that happens out of that five minutes, you're on your own. And the way the camera is sort of moving around his apartment, that reminded me of the start of Driver. You know the the, the, the menu and Driver where you can click between uh, like load game, save game, new game options, and you go around the various sort of aspects of this guy's apartment. It reminded me of that. And then it takes you into the opening scene when he's picking up, and it's uh, there's a beautiful like overhead shot of Los Angeles, and it's the tick of the clock by the Chromatics is the music that that's being used there. And it, for me, that really, really sets up uh, what, 
the movie, the, the look of the movie, the feel of the movie, and that first heist is brilliant. And the, the way they escaped the, the the police straight into the the parking lot, hat down, jack over the shoulder, away, yeah. and that boom into it. it's just effortlessly cool. And the writing is obviously stuff on the on the direct on the. Uh, on the credits and stuff it's like San Andreas and yeah. he's just like a heist and he's like parking his car going into the car park and like yeah like the, the sort of computer you game just imagine Mission Accomplished coming up on yeah, on- <laughs> yeah. but, but it's, the, it's with him with that there it's like he's watching the basketball and you assume that he's he's really into his basketball but then you realise it's probably all just because he wants the he wants to leave the car at the exact moment that the game finishes so he can kind of mm-hmm just fade off into the crowd which I think he is really to, clever yeah that he shows you how meticulous he, he wants is. to know the score in case someone questions him or something like that that's how I was thinking about that it just shows you that shows you how meticulous he is because I think he straps his watch to the to the steering wheel in that scene as well and yeah it's just all like meticulously planned to the minute so that when that game's finishing he can walk out looking like a fan and not not be not be yeah, for managing to get a parking space uh, yeah I know, I know. <laughs> multi-story car park the, um, <laughs> But like, One just, of the criticisms of the film, and, and this is something. This is this is. I, I used to think this until I watched it back earlier in the week. That is a, a case of style over substance. D- 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 but but watching it back, I, I didn't think that was the case. I thought they're very very stylish, but there's loads of substance in there to to, to to balance out. Like you really buy into the characters. You really you really feel for them when when certain moments happen. Um, for instance, like when Shannon gets killed, I mean, a horrible death when he gets his uh, wrist cut open, I mean, basically from his elbow all the way down to his hand. Uh, I mean, that's 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 particularly moving. I mean, did, did you guys think that? Did, did you guys think it was a case of style over substance? Well, can I just say, like, I hadn't watched it before until last night either, and um, somebody had said that in the group chat, so I went into watching it with this kind of preconceived notion that it was going to be quite stylish but there maybe wasn't that much substance to it and I think um, so like I said the movie was kind of on the back foot with me from the start uh, which was a bit unfair but it was one of the it was it grew on me the soundtrack gripped me from the start and the mm. style of it the, like you say the opening scene the opening credits and stuff that's all beautifully done and that, that's not a genre of music that I um, that into it was absolutely superb. It's um, it's been going through my head since I watched it. But yeah, like I said, it was one of those movies that grew on me, and it's also one of those movies that when I woke up this morning, it was one, it was in my head, and I was thinking about it again. And I, I think you can, you can certainly see that it was adapted from a book. Anyway, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of depth to it. I think it's easy to watch. I heard there was like a lawsuit against it because people tried to sue it because it portrayed itself as an action movie and it just had all these like long moody <laughs> scenes of silence and all that kind of thing there wasn't enough driving there wasn't enough driving in it <laughs> exactly exactly so it's, it's easy to it's easy to watch it would be easy to watch I think and and deduce that it's boring and that there's just all this long bits of moody silence but I don't know for me that added lots of yeah. depth to it it just added the kind of depth to the character and yeah I can imagine it being quite a good book I actually want to go dig out and I thought that they do that. The, the the fact that they don't have a lot of speaking that it's done really well because yeah, the, the film doesn't reinvent the wheel or anything. The the plot is a is is has been done many a time, mm-hmm. and I think that they treat the viewer with quite a lot of respect. That you can just see what's going on, uh, and they don't over egg the dialogue. Try to create these sort of like these sort of like even when he phones he phones. Um, 
Carrie Mulligan at the end, and he just it, all he says is it was like the best period of my life. That yeah. scene in a, any other movie, I think that would have went on for about two or three minutes, and it would have been saying the same thing over and over again about how happy they were and how and like there's no there's no need for it because we all we all know what the, the situation is, and it just moves on. And I think you know, uh, you're absolutely right, Tony. The bit where at the very end of the movie where he's killed Bernie and he's left the money, he's left like a million dollars, like like blown in the wind, and drives off. And she goes to his door, and there's no one there. Ooh. Yeah, that's just that's just very, uh, very, very touching. So, so there's three three things for me in terms of criticism. So one of them comes into that style of a substance stuff is I the the driving team part just feels a wee bit. I know it's the only, it's a way to make the connection between you know the track racetrack driving stuff is to make mm-hmm. the connection between. Um, Shannon and I forget the other guy's name the Bernie the proper bad egg Bernie, guy yeah. um, no are they Ron Perelman's yeah, yeah. You know, you know, yeah, yeah yeah but that's that's really not fleshed out in any way so it's like it, it kind of feels a bit like a non-secretor in the film it's like it never comes back to racetrack driving again apart from that connection I feel like it's a wee bit forced <laughs> forced contrived and then the bit where he puts the the prosthetic on mm, yeah he, I, had I don't that really down, yeah. I don't really get it because he doesn't. He drives the guy off a. He drives the guy off a cliff. He doesn't need the prosthetic. Yeah, so it's almost like it's, it's almost like it says to go back to his stunt driving days. No, but is it not just so he's able to go and scout him in the restaurant, and then nobody knows who he is when he's staring in for the outside? So that was the conclusion I, I came to. It's, yeah, I get that, but it's like he he surely doesn't even really need to do that because you you walk past a window that's not like they're going to be staring out at you I don't know it feels like, I mean maybe and I mean, even maybe if he I'm does that but. he doesn't need to do that afterwards and surely it's a hindrance more than anything else he's periphery that, and all that kind of thing yeah I mean I, I, I think it was like I almost felt like it was another homage because I think there was quite a few in that to like sort of like as we're saying to, the, to sort of set of computer games and stuff and I, I, I sort of popped for it because I thought it was quite Michael Myersy from Halloween when uh, yeah. when he actually when when he kills like sort of Ron Perlman Nino Nino uh, because he's like it's really silent the music stops uh, and it's just him not saying anything and walking towards him for quite far away Nino knows that he's going to die and he's just walking into the water but the lighting's really good as well for the lighthouse you know it's just sort of this, this sort of like yeah, yeah. spotlight just sort of wishes uh, wishes over them. And, and the and the other thing I, I think uh, even though I think she she portrays really well, it's a really good character is uh, Kerry Mulligan like Irene like it's it's quite um, or forget the word but she, like she it's almost like a, a sort of um, she's a waitress and she's like in, working in the diner and it's just very predictable as a character it's like the damsel in distress type thing and I think it's like oversold as like it's just I think it's that sounds fair to me to be honest but wasn't it I mean I'm sure I've heard the criticism of the movie or or some not criticism but it's supposed to be like a fairy tale almost and a lot of the music that ties in with that so I mean there's a scene where it's when Standard is released from prison and he's sitting and uh, he's he's coming home and it's Under Your Spell is uh, is playing and then there's only a real hero and it is sort of like is that 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 these are effectively stock characters this this is like like this is just a, the the driving stuff is just a, a a shell underneath which these uh, like the, the the typical damsel in distress story story sits. Not necessarily something I agree with. I did quite like her. The only bit for me that that I did. As I, say, I think the character's really good. I think she she I really like everything that I've, I've ever seen her in. I think yeah, she, she does a really good job of that. But I just think the, yeah the way the character's painted it's just quite. Um, 
And if you uh, were out, if somebody had just winched you in an elevator and then basically kicked someone to death, off. That bit was the only bit I was sort of kind of like. Does he kiss her though? Is that does that actually happen? Is that real? Yeah, that's that. that, That's really he he kisses her, then stomps the the hitman to death. And I just wondered thing, whether no, no, I'm talking about the kiss. I'm talking about the kiss. Whether the kiss is real because it is just that in seemed, his head or because yeah, because uh, he pushes away. The lights yeah. change and all that kind of thing. And um, also, he's aware at that point that this guy's trying to kill them. So I don't know if he would turn his back for this passionate kiss at that point. Well, that's that's that's, that's very very interesting. But I remember thinking, what's he done with the body? But then you don't want to see five minutes of him disposing of a body. I mean, when you're kind of getting to the climax of the movie, that's... that's, that's just standing on his head that. for five minutes. That he can get rid of a body. I don't actually need to see it happen. Yes. For- there is a sense of it all being a wee bit cartoonish anyway, because it, it reminded me of, I forget the name of the film now, um, Kick-Ass. Um, like, all the violence is quite cartoonish almost. Like, even, like... like I found the like it's obviously quite gory and deep, but I find it a little bit unrealistic. Or like, like when Christina Hendricks gets her head blown off, it does feel a bit. It's like a Quentin Tarantino. So I think Bill it almost feels like there's like a, an array of dead bodies strewn across. But but no, you don't really worry about them. It's kind of like a, or like a computer game. It's like someone dies, whatever, move on to the next thing. Leave huge... the body there, doesn't matter. We'll move on. Someone I else think there is a huge that. homage to, to computer games, Craig. I think that's maybe the third or fourth time we've come back to it, and I think there is an element of that there must um, be. in certain games. So the, the, the mask thing, come to think of it, maybe that's like a superhero, a nod to like a superhero that, that has a, one life during the day and another one at night that's crime fighting, wears a different costume and, and goes right. after the bad guys. I don't know. That's good. That's good. Great stuff. I, mean, uh, I must say, we've, we've not, not spoken about it, but see the, after the botched high, see the car chase. That is a pretty, pretty cool piece of cinema. Yeah. Uh, when, he, when he hits the thing in reverse and the cars are basically like, like bumper to bumper alongside one another. That is, that's the sort of bit watching that I'd never seen that in a in a film before a, a car chase if you're the so properly on the edge of the seat like my goodness this is this is incredible and if you're if you're the driver in another car in that situation I think you've probably realised that you're fucked when yeah. he does that and he's <laughs> like, <laughs> this, you can chew yeah. <laughs> didn't realise the getaway driver was Damon Hill you know <laughs> <laughs> he's quite good at driving really fast even though he didn't he didn't have a huge role in it um, Oscar Isaac is an actor that I've come to like uh, he, he can do a lot without saying anything uh, the way he can, like he's he, he's almost like that scene when he first comes back and he's talking to him asking if he's been around the house yeah, yeah. really he's ominous he's character just the way yeah. he, and it was the same in Ex Machina um, when he's in that. that. Oh, he's excellent in that. Just, you can tell he's very good at sort of playing like, oh, I'm quite happy, I'm quite happy. But you know in the back of his head there's always something going on. Uh, and, I, and I think uh, he does that really well in this movie. And that's something I was thinking I'm going to try and track down more um, Oscar Isaac movies because I've only seen two or three where he's been in it and I, and I like him. So Drive is a... What would, what would you rate Drive, Craig Anderson? If you, what would you? We're going to ask, put you in the spot here. Would you recommend Drive, and and what's your rating for it? I would recommend it. Yes, um, we'll say four out of five. Do you want it out of five? What number do you want it out of? Four out of five is good. Four out of five yeah, is good. I, I like. I liked it. It's not. It's not. I mean, there's, I've seen many better films, but it was certainly in the top echelon of films I've seen. <laughs> that's that's uh, praise indeed. What about yourself, Craig? <laughs> I had seven out of ten in my head, so I'll go with three and a half out of five. Okay, and yourself, Tony? 
I'm sorry, I'm going to be annoying and uh, go back. Like I was in, I really got into that. You know that last line when he phones Bernie and he says about the what is it, the scorpion and the frog? Yeah. And your mate never made it over the river. So I, I, I quite liked the line, and I didn't know the story, so I went looking into it. Yeah. Uh, and apparently, it's obviously that the scorpion convinces the frog to take him over the river. Uh, but and then when the frog's like, "Why would I do that? You'll just sting me." And he's saying, "Why would I do that? We'll both just die." Uh, and on, obviously he, he ends up stinging them and the whole point is that it's just in his nature yeah uh, so he asks him as they're both dying why did you sting me and he says I'm a, yeah. I'm a scorpion it's in my nature it's in my nature and so the idea and then um, and obviously a lot of the, the theory is is all the scorpions that are on his jacket and how the scorpions so rather even though um, he's not actually talking about himself as the scorpion the scorpion's on his back and it's sort of like the world that he's sort of brought into uh, the crime world that he's quite reluctantly in that's it's, it's always on his back and it's always going to sting him and he gets stung um, by the guy right in the last scene as well even though he yeah. survives he gets stung by him yeah um, so I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was really the minute oh, I heard the line up I wanted to go in and look at it um, but for me yeah a good 7.5 out of 10 4 out of, 4 out of 5 yeah I thought it was a it's a really good movie it's exciting uh, and there's just a lot to even when there's not so much people might say it's slow but there's so much to sort of your senses are always pricked due to the music due to the colours due to the sort of mergings of each scene and the fact that he's fucking cool as fuck isn't he yeah like, I mean, <laughs> he looks amazing he's so handsome in it and he just like with toothpick and his jacket and the gloves Ah, he's uh, incredible. He's wandering about with a bloody. He wants to with a bloody jacket on for about two days. Uh, towards end, he even goes for his meeting in the restaurant. Still, I, blood. Blood. <laughs> yeah. I, I give it. I'm going to give it five out of five. I love it. It's one of my favourite movies of all time. And uh, I, 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 I can't take. I, I, I do accept the the criticisms that, that have been that have been levelled at it, but I just think it is. It's impossibly cool. And it's a, I, it's I, a movie buffs movie, isn't it? Very very stylish. Like the, the the music, Ryan Gosling's performance, just like I just the way he carries himself in it. I like Brian Cranston. I like the I like the action scenes in it. I like the violence. I like the ending. I like the relationship with uh, Benicio and uh, Irene. It just I, I think it's a great movie. I, I yeah. recommend it. But I can understand it might not be for, for everyone. We'll need to need to do this again. Somebody else can pick a movie. Uh, this time uh, we'll finish it we've been talking nearly for 90 minutes that's wow. uh, that's a, a fair length of time self-indulgent moi <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to look at uh, basically very quickly this is what to watch uh, where we're going to talk about things we'll be what to watching over the next few weeks Tony Anderson what are you what to watching uh, I'm going to be quite boring here I've had fun going into some of these things but I'm, I'm going to go for something obvious because I watched it all uh, in lockdown and um, just Ozark um, yeah, my mum keeps talking about it it's, I think it's one of those that um, everyone's watching it and there's because there's a reason why it's really it's really good it's, uh, I can watch personally I can watch uh, Jason Bateman all day in, in sort of various forms uh, I, I, he's got this, an, an incredible ability to always be playing a comedic role even when he's not and it somehow doesn't take you out of it it always seems to work um, and he does that really well in this when he gets incredulous um, at sort of the behaviours of everyone around him as, as he does it in most things he's in um, and it's obviously it leads into this sort of Breaking Bad style uh, of show which is obviously hugely popular of a, of a family uh, of a guy who to save his family he needs to go into a criminal underworld but he's not really 
sort of built or set for that type of behaviour or that type of world but then he grows into it the best thing about uh, Ozark is the cast the cast is absolutely outstanding Jason Bateman uh, Laura Linney who, I'm, um, who I've always been a, a big fan of um, she's excellent in it and over the sort of three seasons she changes dramatically and sort of, sort of gets into it and there's a brilliant performance from Julia Garner uh, who plays Ruth who's sort of like a partner who, when they go to the Ozarks and they're trying to set up their sort of criminal um, setup, um, Julia Garner becomes a sort of close ally, if you like, and her performance is is great. I'm not going to go too much in it because I think everyone's talking about it, and I felt this is quite actually a boring avenue I've went down. But <laughs> uh, I would um, I would say that uh, Ozark is is definitely it's exciting, edge of your state. You get that feeling in the gut of your stomach, the gut of your stomach, <laughs> and that's um, and it's and it's and it's really good. Watch it; it's good. I'm not what to watching anything I'm what to listening to and that's Future Nostalgia by Dua Lipa I think already this is a very decent shout for the album of the year and I think that, that Dua Lipa and our, our team they deserve a lot of credit because a lot of artists postponed releasing their albums because of the, the ongoing global pandemic but I think they just thought fuck it like, let's release it people are streaming it anyway it's not just you need to go to the shops to buy it people are streaming it and I do think it's an album that, that we really needed at the moment I think it's perfect for sort of like those stay at home Zoom parties in fact there's even a song that called uh, Stay at Home and it really is a soundtrack for the moment there's a it's just brilliant brilliant pop music there's there's two songs in particular Cool and Don't Start Now that are brilliant sort of like 80s influenced pop music rubbery bass lines these cool synthesizers and Dua Lipa is just a fucking amazing talent as well she's a phenomenal singer she's got a brilliant voice a sort of very deep voice uh, very sultry sounding and I think if you like music not just if you if you like listening to music then I would definitely recommend giving this a go it's an absolute banger uh, Craig Cairns what are you what to watching? One of my guilty pleasures is trashy reality TV so recently I have got into 90 Day Fiancé which has been a bit of a a viral hit with the recent uh, sorry, the current series with uh, No Neck Ed, I, I believe like there's lots of people who will no know neck who Ed. No Neck Ed is, even if they haven't watched a single episode of 90 Day Fiancé. It's, it's been a prolific TV show. It's been running since... Oh, I know who he is. Oh, he's an absolute horror guy, isn't he? Yeah, he asked his uh, girlfriend, I say in inverted commas... Um, to do an STD test, basically. But he's just kind of brought up as if... like he done it in a way that he... He, he was suspicious of her sexual history. I mean, I think there's a way to do it. Like, if you if you are with somebody, no, you know what I mean. If you're with somebody and you're and you're gonna and you're gonna start having sex with a condom or something, you maybe raise the conversation where like maybe we should both get tested or something. But no, he was like, I don't know anything about your past. I want you, to, um, I want you to get an STD test, and she she did not take it well. Yeah. So there's been a few. Basically, <laughs> yeah, I've seen your vagina, and I want you to get an STD test. I mean, it's not really the best way to go about. Things, it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's this show it's, it's been a pr- pretty prolific show um it obviously started off with um americans who had uh, boyfriends and girlfriends abroad who were coming to get a, a k-1 visa which is basically um when you're engaged to somebody you get a 90 day visa and you have to get ma- married within that 90 days so this show started off by filming that 90 days and it, it's done various seasons and it's now got to the point where it's doing uh, variations on that so the one I watched was called The Other Way I watched, this isn't the current series um, and it was the as it suggests it was the Americans going to the to the foreign countries to live so there was like this one guy who got a woman uh, from the Amazon up the duff so he went to try and live 
in the Amazon, like this like two day trek to get to this town in the Amazon kind of thing and he didn't do very well um, there was another guy that went to like a run down <laughs> coastal town in Ecuador and just didn't bother to try and learn the language or anything like that and it's yeah it's 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 sensational TV it's quite exploitative and I do question my morals sometimes when I watch these things but uh, as far as reality TV goes it's uh, it's thoroughly entertaining Craig Anderson, what are you what to watching? Yep, so it's, it's, it's a bit of a hard answer for people given that it's, it's nearly 10 years old and it's actually quite hard to find anywhere now. Yes. Um, but it's um, it's a Canadian travel programme called Departures. Um, it's just very... That, that, very, is, that is left fucking field. It's that. very, very good. We watched it. So it was on Netflix like a while back um, and we watched it then and um, we only got, I think it's got three series and we got to watch the first series of it and then it disappeared. And we ended up, because we'd liked it so much, like buying the DVD. So they sell the DVD on their kind of website. So we ended up actually buying it and watching it back. The DVD is actually on offer if you do want to watch it. And I would recommend it. I think it was like $20. I don't know how much postage and stuff will be for three series. But it's essentially like a, a travel documentary type thing. But the cinematography on it is fantastic. So bear in mind, this is like maybe in 2010, 11, 12 sort of time they filmed these it still stands up in terms of just the quality of the, the imagery. And so it just makes you want to go to these places. It's three guys. So the camp, there's three guys who knew each other from like university in Canada. Um, the kind of serious guy, one of them who's a bit more of a joker. And, and it can be a bit, I say a bit annoying, but not in like quite an endearing way. So you never really get too pissed off with them. The other guy's quite serious. And then the other, their pal's a cameraman and they, it's the three of them. Um, and, the cameraman kind of occasionally gets involved with it, which is quite nice. You sometimes see them um, and they travel around. The first series is kind of more, mostly normal places. Um, there are some kind of more out there places, but then as it goes on, like they go to Antarctica in one of the series. I think they go to Mongolia. There's, there's, but there's still ones in like Australia and New Zealand and uh, Iceland. And they do a couple in Canada and stuff like that. So it's a lot of traveling. They go around. It's just really well shot. They meet people as they go along they're generally likable. I say maybe sometimes it's a bit idealistic about travel and stuff, and you know they they start with the kind of narratives like that. But just generally, it's it's a fantastic program, and we probably go back maybe once every couple of years now and and watch just watch right through the, the DVDs. I think each I think there's three series with each with like twelve episodes, so it's like thirty six hours of it. Um, you know, when we're, when we're going to bed and, and it's not kind of time to fall asleep yet, we'll stick that on, and it's just a nice way to to round off a day. Yeah, I like I like a go to. I like a go to. Like just it settles you down. Uh, uh, and travel programs are absolutely ace for that in general. Uh, just it, being it's a, quite frustrating to to watch just now though when you know you can't travel anywhere, but um, yeah. you can't even plan a holiday. But um, beyond that, it's yes, it's. it's um, I was doing. Yeah. I was planning a trip to South America the other day with my fiance and how we were going to do it, how much money it would take, where you get the flights, the journey. I was doing it all. Never, not going to be happening now. And then I've got other things to do. But I'm, I'm, I've decided I'm going to do it. So that's a, you know something that's a very sweet way to to end off the show. Fair play if you've managed to stick all the way through to the end. Um, we prefer all this stuff over football. It seems like it. Who <laughs> would have thought when when, uh, when Craig Fowler took me for a pint in the summer of 2013 would be here? seven years later running our jaws talking about travel programs and going on treks to the Amazon and drive not I said the ball <laughs> uh, listen I'd like to thank uh, Craig Anderson cheers Craig Cairns thank you very much and Tony Anderson brilliant thanks very much that was great fun
great. No, thank you, Tony. Listen, you know, we hadn't seen each other for years, so it's good we've certainly uh, put the hours in uh, there. So fair play, fair play to everyone involved. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening and uh, stay safe, stay at home, and just uh, try and make the most of it. Take care. Bye. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.